Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I want to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. And I also want to thank you for partnering with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. There's always something new and exciting happening here at Ren, so please follow us on social media. You can find us by searching Renaissance Decatur. And you can also connect with us by visiting our website, rendecatur.org. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here at the church. And we're going to continue our Bible study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible with you, we want to turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to spend our time in chapter 4, pretty much all of the chapter. And if you want to follow along, there's a hardback black Bible underneath the seat around you, and you can turn in there. Um, We'll put the words on a screen. You can follow along there as well. But here's the sensing of what I have as we move forward. I'm a, I'm a big f- uh, fan of learning things. I, I don't know if there's any other people like me in the room, but I, I love to learn something new. I'm a, I'm a history channel guy. I'm a, a National Geographic kind of guy. I, I love to just learn something new about all kinds of things. And as I was praying this morning, I felt like for many of us, this was a... a <laughs> This is going to sound weird, but for me, it felt like it was a first day of class that we're all embarking on, and today we get the syllabus of where we're going to go for the next few weeks or so. Everyone knows what the syllabus is, right? In college, or right, you get the, and basically when you're in college, all you do is just circle the test days to just make sure you're, on, you're at class on those days, and then every other day you skip. Amen? Yes, that's what you do, and your parents pay for it. What? What? <laughs> My parents are here. It's a real story. <laughs> It's a real story. But, but the syllabus is just sort of laid out to just explain the, the trajectory of where we think we're going to go over the next, you know, 16 weeks or so. Um, today, as Paul is, is writing to the believers in Corinth, he, he's talking to them about some stuff that's going to rebuke them and correct them, admonish them, and all of those types of things. But my sensing is it's going to open the door to a new trajectory, a new path for their lives that they, they've never seen available to them. And, and I would argue the same would be true for us, that what we would learn today, for some of us, it'll be brand new knowledge for many of us, and for others, it'll be just a reminder. This is just sort of the first day of class back to remind us of some of the truths that we know to be true about God. Um, but this all sets up the future for us. This morning, I prayed this. I said, God, this feels like a new day for me. <laughs> and you're like, uh, it is a new day. <laughs> but you don't understand what I'm saying. Lord, I, I feel like this is a, a new day for me. This is a new beginning for me. That I, I, as I look to these texts, it can open my, my mind's eye to see something um, that might become real to me, and it would change my life forever. That's my desire. I do not study scripture to, to gain knowledge of things, although I used to. I used to. I used to just study scripture so that I, would do, I could do my job, right? So I, so I could stand up before you and tell you this is what it means. A, a, a switch is flipped. I study scripture that I might know myself and then repent and go before the Lord and, and ask the Lord through the power of his Holy Spirit to, to change me. I, I sense that is what's happening in me and I would argue in the church for those people who would nod with me. Chris, we're waiting for you. Thank you. 
yes. <laughs> so anyways, don't we want a new day? And you're, maybe some people, I'm going to read in a minute. I'm just getting started. Maybe some of you are like, but it's already good, man. It's already good. Like, this is fine. It, it'll pale in comparison to how much better it could be um, as the Lord leads you into the exact way he wants you to go. When you live the life that God truly has designed you to live. So, anyways, okay. Let's pray. <laughs> God, thank you again for all of our time together. God, we, um, we exalt Jesus as we've been singing about that this morning, that Jesus would be famous in this room. There would be one famous person in this room. His name is Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and Savior. There's one hero to the story of all of our lives, and it is not us. It is Jesus in us. So God, thank you for that. I pray by the work and power of the Holy Spirit that he would come and he would, he would do the work in his church that he desires to do. It is his great desire to mature us, to walk us into newness of life and, and a, a new path, a new day for all of us. So we just yield to the power of the Holy Spirit that he would come and do that. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes and our ears so that we could see and hear and we could learn from you. Um, we thank you for everything that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, Paul, just by way of real quick review, we don't have time to go through all of it, is the apostle who planted a church in Corinth. Um, he's not in Corinth, but he's hearing word about the Christians in Corinth, and he's writing a letter to them because he's heard some things about them. They're not acting very Christian-y. Is that a word? They're not acting very Christ-like, maybe is better. And so he writes to them and addresses some of the things. One of the things that they were taking issue with, with Paul in particular, is they, they were saying they would rather follow Apollos, another teacher that had come into the church in Corinth, instead of Paul, the guy who founded the church. And they're having these little schisms or little factions between, well, uh, this group follows Paul, this group follows Apollos, this group follows Peter, it doesn't matter. And, and Paul says, none of those things matter. We're all just servants to Jesus. That's all we are. And, and last week, you remember, he talked about saying, you know, I planted this church. Apollos came along and watered it, but it's God himself who gives the growth. So he's like, we're nothing in regards to, to why you would want to attach yourself to a person. I don't understand, he's saying. So we'll pick it up from about there. He continues in verse one of chapter four. And that is how you should regard us, truly as servants of Christ. The word servant there is, is this uh, idea of under rower. Do you remember those pictures or drawings of old boats that had like three decks of people rowing, that those big rows sticking out? Those ships existed in real life, right? And there's a Greek word for the people who were at the very bottom of the ship rowing where it's nice and stinky and hot, right? And that's that word. He says, of all the people who God will use to row this message of Jesus to save others, he says, we the apostles are like the under rowers, the people at the very bottom. Not to read too much into that, he's just saying, we're nothing. We're just servants of Christ. And we're stewards of the mysteries of God. It just simply means this, that for, for thousands of years, the promise of a savior had been spoken by the prophets. 
In fact, since the beginning of creation, when God promised he would send someone to rescue mankind out of its sinful state, they've been waiting for the Savior to come. The mystery is, when is that Savior coming? Who is that Savior? Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. It's, it's Jesus. It's no longer a mystery. He says, we're, we're stewards of this. We're telling everyone what this is now. And he says, moreover, it's required of the servant, servants rather, or stewards to be found faithful in that call. That is the one thing that they're called to do. He says, and, and he's hearing that they're, they're criticizing Paul. He doesn't seem very eloquent. He doesn't seem blah, blah, blah. And they're talking about him. Verse three, he says, I don't care about what you say. <laughs> I mean, that's my paraphrase. You read it yourself. He says, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any other human court. This is interesting because to be very frank with you, Paul greatly cares what others think of him. He, he writes elsewhere in the New Testament. He says, if I'm preaching to Gentiles, then I'll act like a Gentile so that they'll understand it. If I'm preaching to Jews, then I'll become a Jew. He cares very much how people receive him, except in this regard. <laughs> As a steward, as a person who's carrying the mysteries of God and revealing them to people, the only person that I care about is my master, just like a slave would care about what the master thought. He says, and what you people think about me, I don't care much about that. Now, can I just pause right here and, and just go through all of the things that I wrote on my legal pad as I was reading this? I'm a people pleaser. Anyone else in the room? Right? That's sinful. Before you nod your head. <laughs> too late. <laughs> it's sinful. And I know that of myself. And I remember reading this, Paul's like, man, he's going hard at them. He's like, I don't care what you people think. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't care either. Like trying to bolster myself. He says, I don't care what you think or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. What? See, the people who say they don't care what other people think, they're probably the hardest on themselves, too. They're constantly thinking, man, I wish I'd have said something else differently. I wish I would have not re reacted that way. I, I won't share this story with you. Okay, I probably will. <laughs> <laughs> I, already, I shared it with TJ. You know, the New Testament talks about confessing your sins to one another. And um, I had a moment on Friday afternoon. It was late in the week. I was tired. And um, I got a little grumpy with one of the construction guys that was here. He was making a mess. I got to be honest with you. And I, it was late Friday. And I'm like, everyone's gone at this point. Guess who's going to have to clean it up? It's me. All right? So whatever. So, but, but not just letting it go. I, I made sure he understood that this is what's happening. You're making a mess, brother. And I, I appreciate if you wouldn't do that. And he kind of went back at me. And I went, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said, do I need to find someone else to do this? And I, I was a jerk. I was a jerk. The whole weekend I thought to myself, why did I say that? Paul's acting like I don't care what others think. I don't, I don't even judge myself, he says, which is kind of cool because he admits, verse 4, he goes, I'm not aware of anything against myself because I don't sense anything or see anything in my life. It doesn't mean I'm acquitted by the Lord. He says he knows this. He goes, I know the Lord will, in fact, judge me. I know God is going to judge me, so I don't need you to judge me, and I'm not even going to judge myself. What's hilarious here is he, he talks about the Lord bringing a judgment who's going to bring to light, verse 5, the things that are hidden, 
right, in the darkness and disclose all of the purposes of the heart. What I think he's saying here um, is, is he has blind spots in his life. I don't, I don't need you to judge me, and I'll be very frank, I don't need to judge myself. And why is this? Because, because I'm not even a very good judge of myself, because sometimes I think I'm better than I actually am. <laughs> sometimes I think I'm a lot better than I actually am. But he, he says there is one who will judge. And, and know this, this is a, a common theme throughout the entirety of Scripture. The Old Testament talks about this a lot when the day of the Lord would come and the Lord would judge, and, and Paul's talking about this very thing. And, and what that looks like, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about, just land at this reality. There is a time when God will judge everything that has been done in your life. So, so free ourselves from concern, being concerned what others think of us and, in, and liberate yourself from considering your own life too because you're, you're not even a good judge of yourself. You have blind spots. You don't see everything in your life, but the Lord can reveal the things hidden in darkness and the motives truly in the heart. I was having a conversation with someone this week and um, two people actually, and I said this thing to both of them, you can actually do the most holy thing, oh, that sounds wrong, the most pious thing, the most righteous thing, um, and still be sinning while you do that. Did you know that? Let's take something that uh, Jesus called us to do, to serve the poor. Okay, let's just pick that thing out of a hundred million other things we could be doing for Jesus. We're serving the poor. And let's say you, you do that every week and you desire to serve the poor and help the needy and all this and that. But uh, your motivations be behind all of that is so that other people would applaud your works. That other people would see that and go, man, this guy's a really great uh, person, a citizen in the community around us. He's, I want to model my life after this person. And inside of all of that is a motive that is, in fact, impure. So you're doing all the great things that Jesus is asking you to do and yet you're sinning while you're doing it. The blind spots in our lives will be revealed to us by the Lord on that day. Uh, my daughters are teenagers. Um, one learned to drive a couple years ago. One is learning to drive now. I'll share a story. I won't tell you which one it was um, so you don't you know, laugh at them, but this is hilarious. So they're driving one day, and I'm, I'm going to uh, El Rodeo because it's um, my holy place, and I'm going into... <laughs> El Rodeo, and I'm letting my daughter drive, and, and she goes, oh, this is the turn, and just gets in the turn lane and goes. Uh, unbeknownst to her, there was a car in her blind spot, who then proceeded to wave at her with one finger. <laughs> we get all the way inside, we sit at the table, and I ask my daughter about that. How'd you feel when that guy was flipping you off and, and kind of berating you through the window? And she said to me, what guy? no... <laughs> 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 I promise you, no idea this was taking place. <laughs> no idea. That's our lives. That's us. We truly are oblivious to some things. But there is one who's not. Paul wants the Corinthian church to see this. He says, you shouldn't be judging me, right? I don't even judge myself just for the record, but there is a judge. We were singing earlier about a throne, sitting on a throne. A throne is not just a place of leadership, exaltation, but it's a place of judgment. They would stand before the throne and the king would judge. And that is a picture of Jesus. 
He says, verse six, that I have applied all of these things to myself and to Apollo. So he's saying, we want to live our lives truly as an example for you. It's our desire. And it would be for your benefit, brothers and sisters, he would say. And that you would learn from us uh, to not go beyond what is written. Now, that's a very unique phrase in the New Testament. Uh, Many scholars, okay, I'm not a scholar, but I, I read the guys who write about this stuff, say that that phrase is difficult to understand. It's possible that what Paul is intimating towards is scripture. He says, don't go past what is written. We, we could say that's possibly true. We don't know that to be true at all. It could also possibly be just a phrase that the Corinthians were using, much like, don't post it online, bro. <laughs> like, don't put that online. Like, some, you know what I mean? It's like just part of their culture. And so Paul is quoting it to them. But you're just pointing to this reality that there is a limit to what you should and should not be doing. He says, we, uh, verse 7, he says, who sees anything different in you? What he's saying is, who makes you superior? So this, this place of boasting, of arrogance, and of pride that had permeated its way into the church in Corinth, Paul is now beginning to chip away at. He says, don't judge others. And by the way, who made you over everyone else? Verse seven. He says, if then, wait, what's he say? What do you have that you did not receive? Is what he's saying. What do you have that wasn't given to you? Everything you're boasting in, your wisdom, your spiritual gifts that we'll get to later in later chapters, all of these things that you have arrogance in, where do you think they came from? He's asking. And if they have been given to you, by God, by the way, and you've received, received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it freely? Why do you boast as if somehow it's because you're special? Why do you boast in these things that God has so freely done for you? Whew. Is it hot in here? Um. We could ask um, a lot of our friends who aren't Christians, if you could pick an adjective to describe Christians or the church today, what adjective would you pick? And there'd probably be a few that would float to the top of the the list. Uh, Maybe one of them would be hypocritical. Maybe one would be judgmental, that we're kind of judgy about others. I think that comes from a place that's, um, it's rooted in this arrogance or, or, or pride that somehow we've all seemed to have forgotten how we were saved in the first place. How, how, how we were wretched. How, how we were broken. Deplorable. Disgusting. <laughs> Should I stop? It, I mean, all of these things. And yet, the Lord saw a, a beauty in that. And, and he came and he gave his life for us and he rescued us. At no point did any of this salvation, at no point did, did our, our gifts, our spiritual gifts, at no point did our um, intelligence about the things of God come from us. It, it's truly from the Lord. And he's pointing to that. Why would you even boast about something that you, you can't even work up in yourself? It's, it's not even you that does it. If we boast in anyone, it is of who? It is of the Lord. Yeah. Hmm. 
Okay. All right. Maybe the opposite of boasting. Oh, okay. This is me. I'm, I'm, ver- I'm not real braggardly. In, f- in fact, I walk around with the best false humility you've ever seen. <laughs> right? I- I'm, I'm typically the guy who's self-flagellating, beating myself down. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's just the Lord. It's, the, it's a blah, 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 blah. Right? And, and I want, the flip side of this is let's not be boastful and arrogant, but let's just not beat ourselves up either. Let's remind ourselves and, and have a confidence in us that, yes, we didn't earn it. Yes, we don't deserve it. But yet God has done it. So let's just be confident in that. Ah, oh, I need to hear that. That's helpful for me, that I would, I would have a confidence in the work that God has done. And, and it bring a, a humbleness to me that, it, again, it's not because of anything that I've done. It's everything he's done. But I feel way underconfident, if that's a word, all the time. And I prayed for that today, that today my new day would sound like confidence. My new day would sound like, well, this is what God wants. I'm just going to do it. And if it don't work out, it's on him. That'll help some people. I think. Verse 8. If you get to know me, I'm a, I can be sarcastic, particularly, uh, particularly about Joe a lot. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> I'm just a sarcastic person, and I only bring that up because what, what happens next in these next few verses is, is biblical sarcasm. I mean, Paul truly goes at the Corinthians, the arrogant, proud, lofty Corinthians. Um, Someone once said that it's, you should never judge someone by the way you perceive them. You should judge or treat someone by the way they perceive themselves. <laughs> and if they think they're all that and a bag of chips is what we say, right? Then treat them like it. Oh, you're awesome? Oh, yeah, let's talk about how awesome you are. And, and this is where Paul just pulls the chain and lets her rip. He says, he says, oh, already you have everything that you want. Everything in your life is satiated. It's like life is a buffet to you and you have anything at all that you want. Already you have become rich, he says. Without us, you have become kings. You don't even need us lowly servant apostles teaching you the truth of Jesus. Well, you already have exalted way past Jesus even. And, what that, and would that you did that reign so that we might also share in the rule with you. Oh, I wish that was even true, he says. He says, but I think God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all. Like men, he says, sentenced to death. And this probably points to this Roman ritual where generals would come back from war and they would parade into the streets of Rome and behind the caravan, if you will, were the prisoners that had been caught that were just going to be dragged to the arena or the Colosseum to then be destroyed by gladiators and or wild beasts. And they always came in at the end. And, and Paul says, I, you guys are so great, but we're nothing. We're, we're like those that have been assembled in the last of the line to be put to death. God wants to exhibit us, he says like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world or universe 
to angels, which is, boy, I wish we could talk about that more, and to men. I mean, know this, God uses his relationship with you and I to even inform the other things that he's created, like angels. Angels are ancient, they're super intelligent and smart and powerful, but they, they lose their freaking mind when they, when they see how God treats us. They are educated in God's grace and mercy when he forgives us and loves us in spite of us. And the angels are going, he's a good God. They see it. Sometimes we miss it. He says, verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake. But no, 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 you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but nope, you're strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. To the present hour, he says, we hunger and we thirst and we are poorly dressed. We are buffeted or beaten and we are homeless. Paul and elsewhere in the New Testament talks about being shipwrecked and I mean, all kinds of things that happen to him. And he says, and we labor working with our own hands, which the, the Greeks, the Corinthians hated. They really despised people that worked for a living, right? That worked with their hands. They, they exalted just philosophy and intelligence and and, and rhetoric and all of those things. And, and Paul is standing before them saying, you guys are great, you're right, we're nothing. We work with our hands, we labor. And when we're reviled, we bless. Hmm, sounds like Jesus. And when we're persecuted, we endure. Hmm, sounds like Jesus. And when we slandered, we are entreat, or we always try to find a middle ground, or we try to reconcile. That's who we are as people. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the garbage of all things, he says. Now, if I could pause right here and just lay before us an opportunity to grow in a couple things. We can read this passage in one of two ways. And in fact, I think it's beneficial to read it both ways. We could read it through the eyes of apostles or through the eyes of other servants. So if you're a believer in this room, if you're a Christian, then you too have been called to shepherd or steward the mysteries of Jesus, the the mysteries of the gospel to everyone else. So we have a responsibility to read this passage much like Paul, the apostle, and look at our lives and say things, are, are we willing to be reviled? for the gospel? Are we willing to, to be homeless? Are we willing to endure a hunger, etc.? And I'm, I'm not necessarily saying God is telling us to do that. I'm just saying if and when those things were to happen to us, would we treat them the, the same way that Paul does? Is he just, okay, if I have to work, I'll work. If I'm going to be hungry, I'll be hungry. If I don't have a place to lay down, I'll, I'll be fine with it. I'm not going to freak out over it. Now, looking at that passage through that Pauline Lenz, we begin to question, are we even doing it right? (laughs) Especially in America. I mean, we're so wealthy by world's standards, okay? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Again, I'm I'm not saying we have to do these things or we're doing it wrong. I'm just saying, if those things were to come to us, would we be okay with them? So read it that way, looking at it through Paul's eyes. Um, and maybe most beneficial is to read this through the eyes of a Corinthian believer. What, what if you and I are on the other side of these words and Paul the apostle is speaking to us? And he's, you have everything you need? You're wise, and again, we already talked about the boasting, but 
But what, what if Paul himself is admonishing us and looking into the things of our lives, and if we only look at it through Paul's eyes, we, we miss the rebuke that sometimes is necessary in our lives. Um, I was listening to a, another pastor preaching on this passage. This last little phrase here in verse 13, he says, we have become like the scum of the world or the refuse of all things. He, he likened it to the, um, the inside of a, like a chili pot that has been cooking all day. Because you know, that's the only way chili is good if it cooks all day, right? And, and after it's all been taken out, but the, the pan's been left on, there's that like crusty stuff on the inside that you actually have to scrape off with a knife. Like, he says, that's who we are to you. Is we're that. Who wants that? Anyone? No one says, I just add a little water and ketchup to that and it'll be fine. <laughs> no one does that. It's to be discarded. And, and Paul just understands that this, this role of his is to preach Jesus to others and, and he trusts the Lord to work it all out at the end. And what you Corinthians think about me, pff. what I even think about myself, I'm, I'm okay with where I'm at. And as sarcastic and as stinging as that probably was to hear from them, uh, Paul closes this little chapter with some encouragement. Verse 14, he says, but I don't write these things to make you ashamed. It's not my heart in it. My heart is to, to wake you up, so to speak, but it's not to shame you. It's to admonish you. You are, to me, like a beloved child. He says, verse 15, for though you have uh, 10,000 or countless guides in Christ, you, you have but one father. He says, you only have one father. I became your father in Christ Jesus is what he says, through the gospel message. When I proclaimed Jesus to you and you became a Christian, I became a spiritual father to you. And you'll have many other guides come to you, Apollos, Peter, uh, Cephas, who, you name it. All these other people are going to come along and instruct you and encourage you, but you can only have one father. And, and he's saying these things so that they'll hear him and his heart behind it. The things that I'm saying to you, yes, they sting a little bit, but I'm saying these things because I love you. And every parent in the room went, mm-hmm. We've all heard it and or said it. I'm doing this because I love you. Go to your room and leave me your phone and your iPad and your computer and your game box and whatever, <laughs> like, and just be alone with yourself, right? That's what we say. And we do these things because we, we are desperate that they understand the repercussions for their behaviors. We don't do, we don't, we don't reprimand because we hate them. We don't punish them because we don't like them. We're so motivated by compassion and care for them. I've said this um, for many years now. My greatest goal as a parent is to kick my kids out of the house. And if that's not your goal as a parent, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Everyone's nervously laughing. That's a real thing. Yes, thank you. No, it, they are not supposed to stay with us forever. 
Praise the Lord. We should grow them up, train them up, right? And then let them go do life, right? There's this moment when God actually has to be their caretaker more so than you. When things get tough, instead of running to mom and dad, maybe they should run to the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Woohoo! <laughs> They're still little. You'll see. <laughs> It's hard to even think it now when they're, when they're so dependent upon you. Well, there'll come a day when they say, I don't need you. And you're like, see ya. <laughs> I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, verse 16. So I urge you then, he says, to imitate me, to, to be imitators of me. Okay, may I remind you of what he just said to them? that I'm homeless and hungry and poor and I work with my hands and um, people despise me. People consider me like garbage. I've been beaten and shipwrecked. And, and he says, oh, and by the way, Corinthian believers, be like me. Imitate me. He'll follow this phrase even further in chapter 11 when he says, uh, why don't you follow me while I follow Christ? And Know this, what Paul is laying before us is this thing called the cruciform life. It's to live our lives exemplified and modeled to look like Jesus. Jesus, who is perfect and wonderful and, and heavenly and holy and everything that he is, he humbled himself, came to earth to serve us by giving us his life on the cross. He served us. It, it, it appears as if the Corinthian believers won't even serve anyone but themselves. They can't even act that way. He says, imitate me, he says. I'm sending, verse 17, uh, another son of mine, a spiritual son. His name is Timothy. He's beloved and faithful, and he's going to remind you of my ways in Christ. I teach them everywhere I go. Verse 18, some of you are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. It, it, I get the impression that Paul has said once before, I'm coming to, to Corinth, and you'll see when I get there, and just hasn't been there yet. And so people are going like, he ain't coming. And you remember when the teacher used to leave in the third grade, right? And you're like, I'll be back in a minute. And you're like, she didn't come back in a minute. You're like, this is awesome. Like we can do whatever we want until you heard the squeak of her shoes come around the corner and everyone panics. It's like that moment. I'm coming back. I'll be back in a minute, but he's not come back. And so everyone's freaking out, doing whatever they want. And they've become arrogant. He's never coming back. He says, I'm coming back to you. I will come and see you soon, soon, if the Lord wills. I love that. Man, if you could add that to everything you say in your life. Not like in a super religious way because it drives people crazy, but like everything you think you want to do in your life, just say this in your mind, if the Lord wills. If he wants it, I'll do it. Is that okay? He says, but I'm going to come to you soon, and we'll find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but we're going to see what kind of power they have. <laughs> if somebody's itching for a fight, it's Paul. He says, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So what say you, Corinth, when I come to you? Should I come with a, a rod of correction, right? Walking with a big stick, he says. Or should I come to you with a spirit of gentleness? They get to choose, he says. I think the the choice hinges upon their actions from this point forward. As Paul has laid before them this opportunity to grow and to be educated, to change, he says, um, how I come to you depends on how you respond to this. Can you humble yourself? Can you um, 
step down from your arrogance and your pride? Can you see what Jesus has done in your life, even in spite of you, and from that place, begin to carry the message of Jesus for others? Or will you continue to act the way that you're acting? Either way, you're going to get corrected, first by me and eventually by the Lord. This is why I sense so strongly this is a, a, um, like a first day of class for us. We, we have an opportunity right now to grow in these things. Is that, is that making sense? We have an opportunity to truly change. Um, it is the, the grace of the Lord who, who doesn't just reveal the broken things in our lives, right, to just shame us and beat us up. He doesn't just go, sin, stop it, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't just do that. He, he shows us those things and then shows us a different way to live out of that. And, and not only shows us a different way, also comes alongside and empowers us to live differently with, a, with the Holy Spirit. Did you know you can say no to the Holy Spirit? Did you know that? I do not recommend it. I don't. I don't. I think, I think we should be people that do what God wants us to do. Yes? Okay. Um, that was fun. Thank you for that. Let's pray together and um, ask God to now... Um, seat what we've heard and learned into us, that it would be a real uh, beneficial thing for us. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for the message of Paul, the apostle, capital A apostle, who has instructed the church in Corinth, but now through the, the word of scripture is also instructing, instructing us as well. So God, would you, would you come and, and uh, let us see this as as uh, the Corinthian believer, as admonishment, encouragement, through love and care through you, but also as Paul. We need to see both sides of this. We need to be humble. We need to say things like, if the Lord wills more in our life. God, I, that's my prayer. Lord, what do you will for us? God, if you, could, if you could erase our mind's eye of every affection, of every plan that we've made, just erase it all. And, and, and Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, I pray you just put back in the one that you have for us. Just the one. Help us to see what, what's the thing you want us to do. This is real helpful for us. Father, we take these next few minutes to confess arrogance and boastfulness and, and uh, lack of confidence, the opposite side of that, that we, are, we feel insecure too much, Lord God, and we, we need to be reminded that you've done all things for us. So we're not proud in that, but we're also encouraged in it as well. God, we thank you for that. God, would you uh, cause my heart to worship you and to be thankful towards you to be filled with gratitude for everything that you have done. I pray, Lord, as we sing these next few songs, that the, the, as the words cross our lips, that a transformation begins to take place in our heart, that, that as we say these things, it truly becomes who we are as people, that as we say, <laughs> you know, you're the main thing in our life, that we're going to build our life on you, or, or all of these things that we're going to say, God, may they become true to us as we say them in a profound, supernatural, and miraculous way. We 
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together, we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, please go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves him.